Well, we have nine more holes to go, so how about you two fellas follow me to the 10th tee? On to the back nine, hour number two of Real Golf Radio with Brian Taylor and Bob Casper, son of Hall of Famer Billy Casper. Two players down the middle on the tempo. Here's Brian and Bob. Yeah, welcome back in to hour number two of Real Golf Radio. Brian Taylor, Bob Casper, so good to have you alongside. Just talking a little bit about Genesis. Tony Finau, 70-67. We're talking about uh, the strokes gained and how they don't look really good around the greens. I'm going to talk a little bit about that strokes gained stuff. But want to remind you, coming up later this hour, America's favorite caddy stopping by. And Tyler Staniford, as we continue our discussion around speed, speed training, and how ground forces, Bob, factor into that speed and the sequencing. So Tyler, who's a... Again, a biomechanics professor. He's not a golf coach. Biomechanics professor. This guy knows some stuff. And it's been so fun to work with him and how you can really, you know, utilize your lower body properly yeah. to be able to generate a better golf swing and, and more distance out there. But real quick, on this you whole... You said ground forces? Yeah. Sounds like army training. Oh Well, it kind of is. Okay. There you go. You got to be disciplined, Bob. Yep. Yes, gotta sir. It. It's yes, sir. Yes, sir. Thank you. Simplify. Yep. So the inside the ropes guys were talking on Sirius XM, which was kind of an interesting one about this whole strokes gain. So Scotty basically had a hole and they were referencing that he three putted on. And so the, he had an eight footer, which the stroke average on the tour is, is, is 1.5, meaning half mm-hmm. the, half the field is making that putt, half the field's missing it. But then when right. he went and missed it and then missed the comebacker, he lost because it was three and the stroke average one, he lost one and a half, strokes to just on that hole just on that hole so the idea is is that had he gone ahead and rolled that one putt in his strokes gained we it wouldn't have even been a conversation because of that one putt so i don't want to minimize it because it is what it is he three putted instead of making the first one like half the field did and so it is accurate that he was giving up strokes right on that one three putt but I'm not so sure you can completely destroy his whole short game because he had one three putt. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I feel like sometimes we get hung up all on, on this, and it's really not. It's a very razor's edge. He's not like he's needs to blow up the whole swing or putter. You know what? The pendulum swings both ways. So Scotty Scheffler is going to make his share of birdies. You know, if he three putts from eight or ten feet, you know what? He knows he's going to make it up at some other point. Yeah. I Okay. Law of averages. Good players got to keep that mindset. No doubt about it. Yep. Stay tuned. We'll continue the show next here. Hour number two of Real Golf Radio. Now, back to Real Golf Radio with Brian Taylor and Bob Casper. Welcome back to the show. Brian Taylor, Bob Casper. The segment brought to you by Black Desert Resort. BlackDesertResort.com is the place you go to check out the exclusive real estate opportunities available at this dynamic new resort that opens up later this summer. It's going to host the PGA Tour in October, uh, LPGA Tour next May, and of course it features that new Tom Weiskopf championship design course, the 73rd and final design of the great Tom Weiskopf, and uh, you can be a part of it through real estate ownership and uh, have a chance to play it as well. It is in high demand as it was ranked number two best new course in America, and it is uh, phenomenal. Go to blackdesertresort.com. And uh, again, thanks for joining us here. Of course, Tiger Woods, a big story. 
this week hosting at the Genesis. Unfortunately, had to withdraw uh, midway through his second round. He he decided an illness, and so he's uh, he's out and not playing. And 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 the th- crazy thing is, Bob, is that you know again now he's zero for sixteen in right. playing this event without having won. And that was one of the questions that he was asked um, was, why can he not win here? And here's what he had to say. Well, I've, I have traditionally not have putted well here. Uh, I've, this is a, a fader's delight. Uh, most of the holes are for a righty run left to right. And I've driven it well here. I've, there's small greens. And... <clears throat> Traditionally, you know, throughout my entire career, my iron game is, has been you know pretty good, but I have never really you know gotten hot with the putter this uh, at this event and this this course. Generally, they're they're bumpy poa, <laughs> so uh, it's been a little bit tricky. For some reason, it just has never you know compiled to a hot week. I had one where I had a chance against Ernie and hit a foul ball in the last hole, so. Um, that's other than that, I really haven't had that many opportunities for some reason. What do you make of that, Bob? I mean, again, like I said in hour number one, I think there's four events he's played at least four times on that golf course that he hasn't won on, but this one 16 times. And yeah. you know, you were there when he made his debut here as an amateur. Yeah. Repertoire of alibis, as you were saying. <laughs> so, um, you know, you think of Pebble Beach as Bumpy Poa, and Tiger's won there at Pebble Beach, and he has won there in a U.S. Open. Great point. Um, and so, I don't know. It's it's a golf course um, in the L.A. area where he grew up, and it's a golf course that is fit for Tiger Woods with the way he's able to manufacture around around a golf course in hitting fairways, hitting um, hitting his irons and hitting greens. And yeah, you're not going to make every putt, but it's, uh, I, I would think Tiger Woods would have won this golf tournament at least once out of 16 times. But it, yeah, unfortunate um, that, uh, that he hasn't able to be, been able to get it done there because I know he would love to do it. Yeah, you know, you think about uh, the 15 attempts, prior to this week and 15 majors, which is more surprising that he's over 15 over, you know, at Riviera or that he's won 15 major championships. Right. I mean, it's, it's totally over. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the other thing is, is, you know, I started, I started to think about that and I was like, how do I phrase that? Is it more surprising that Tigers won 15 majors or that he has only won 15 majors. And to even <laughs> say that is kind of wild, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is crazy because, you know, we all know Jack's won 18, but for Tiger Woods, I think it's almost only um, as far as as I think, because 82 times he's won on tour. Uh, that's 10 more than Jack. And, you know, but Jack won 18 times in majors in Tiger, Tiger only 15. Mm. Does that make Jack the best? We don't need to go into that whole conversation today. But I think they're make, both the goats. They're both goat. Bob's going to a double goat. I'm a double goat. All right, goat <laughs> squared is a, is for Bob. We'll, we'll take it. Uh, but back to Riv. Uh, yeah. You know, this is one of the golf courses that people talk about. You know, same architect that did L.A. Country Club where we were at the U.S. Open last mm-hmm. year. And and this is kind of the, the, the crown jewel, if you will. This is one that, you know, most people in golf circles will will rant and rave about, you know, how great it is. One of the holes on there, well, there's a couple of holes that really stand out. The 10th hole is a drivable par four. It's 308 yards. It gets yep. people every single year. 
Um, and then you've got, is it the sixth hole? That's the sixth hole with the bunker. Yeah. The yep. bunker in the middle of, the, of a par three, which Tom Weiskopf replicated uh, for the third hole, a par three third at, at Black Desert. So I've played, I haven't played Riviera, but I've played the third at Black Desert a number of times. And I think it's kind of cool, actually. Now, in the Black Desert scenario, this one's elevated. And, and my understanding is six is uphill um, at uh, Riviera. But those are some slightly, un- yeah, yeah, slightly, but you can still see the whole green. Okay. Those are some unique characteristics. Let's start with that 10th hole. I asked uh, our friend Parker, who played there uh, a few weeks ago, and I said, hey, what's, what do you think of the 10th hole? And he goes, I love it. Because I always hit driver, I always go for it. He said I made birdie the first time, and I made triple bogey. I think he said the second time. So uh, <laughs> we watch we watch ten trip players up all the time. It's such a short hole if you get on the wrong yep. side of it. What is it about that hole? Do you first of all do you like it? And if so or not, you know, the reasons why? Well, I think it's a great golf hole. Um, not long. It's a very risk reward hole. But where it gets really difficult, even with driver, if you can get in that front bunker, it's no chore. If you get it over to the left, unless unless you're being able to hit right straight up the, the slot of the green between the bunkers, um, then you have a little bit easier chance. But uh, the, the difficulty is that over the years, as, pe- as people have played that hole and they've hit shots out of the bunker, it's raised up the areas around the edges of the bunker. So mm. it's almost a soup bowl shaped green now. And so if you get it in one of those bunkers, now you're hitting downhill almost every time. Um, from the left side of the green to the back right side of the green, as you're going up the green, it's two half, maybe two-thirds of the way up that green. You're into the grain or uphill. And then as it gets away, if for those pins in the back, it's running away, and it'll run right off the green and into the back bunker. So it's really, really narrow. It's really, really difficult. Um, my dad always used to, play it out over to the left short of the bunker that was on the left on the in the fairway and hit a wedge in there. But with in today's game, everybody's going at that green. And if you get it too far left, then trees and bushes and a palm tree and all that kind of stuff get, get come into play. It's just a really, really cool risk-reward hole, and I love it. I think drivable par fours are ought to be a, a key design element when putting in a golf course just because right. of the fun and the risk factor that it brings into it especially if you play any kind of match play on it yeah. you know in the second round i watched jordan spieth on 10 and he drove it out to the right and he was in that heavy rough didn't even make it to the bunker so he was right of it he was mm-hmm. forced with trying to carry the bunker out of the rough which he couldn't stop it and then hitting on that down slope you were talking about off the bunker and the problem is if you can't stop it, it's going to roll across the green and into the other bunker on the other side and now you yep. risk a little tennis match back and forth. So he, again, I don't think there's very many amateurs that could actually do this, but he just <laughs> chipped it sideways. Instead of going at the pin or the green, he chipped it sideways in front of the green, pitched it up. Unfortunately, it checked on him, and he missed the putt and made five. But my guess is is that if most of us, even at, well, I shouldn't, that, that is, that, that is, I was going to say even at Jordan Spieth's level, but most of us, and Jordan Spieth's level can't be in the same sentence. That didn't, that actually doesn't translate. But I think even <laughs> if Jordan had gone for it with his talent level, and certainly if all of us as amateurs had tried to go for it, it brings double bogey or higher into play, right? Yeah, and let's not forget, this golf course has Kukuya grass around it. So the ball is either going to sit up really high in the Kukuya grass, or if it 
if it catches the wrong lie, it's going to sit down low. And when it sits down low like that, there's no stopping the ball. You can't grip the ball. You can't uh, hit a high shot that's going to come up soft or anything like that. So he played it over the left. I would wager to guess that this is a hole that you would almost make as many birdies as you would make bogeys mm, on it mm, just because of the standpoint of the hole and it's a total risk reward yep tiger woods withdraws with injury or with illness rather uh he was sick and he withdrew when do you expect we'll see him next bob i think maybe that we'll see him at the arnold palmer invitational mm. if he's going to play in march um if not we'll see him at augusta in april okay wow you'd hope he'd be able to try to get a an actual full four rounds sure. in prior sure. to the Masters, but you know he was last time he's played a full four rounds is this tournament last year. Interesting, yeah. At Augusta, he had to withdraw the third round mm-hmm. there. So, mm-hmm. yeah, interesting. Well, listen, we'll take a short break. When we come back, uh, we'll hear more comments from Tiger as it relates to Live and Piff and bringing players back. What does that look like? We'll talk about it next here on Real Golf Radio. You're listening to Real Golf Radio. Talking golf with Brian Taylor and Bob Casper. One day you'll get it. Here's Brian and Bob. Welcome back to the show. Brian Taylor, Bob Casper with you. You know, one of the guys playing this week is Rory McIlroy. He's coming off of Pebble Beach, which was his debut on the PGA Tour for the 2024 season. Shot rounds of 71, 74, 69. Again, the final round was washed out. So uh, he ended up uh, finishing uh, up there at 200 par and... Um, now he's playing here at the Genesis and he, mm-hmm. you know, he talked about, um, he, well, he opened a 74 rather and came back yep. with a 66 right in the second round, which was a nice bounce back for Rory. who was in danger of missing the cut much, much cleaner card. He went uh, double bogey, triple bogey in the opening round on 15 and 16, Bob, that was kind of his undoing came back and had a completely clean card on the front. He had a couple of birdies, had an Eagle on the par five 11th, and then a birdie on the par five 17th to shoot that 33 on the backs, 33, 33, 66 for, um, for Rory McIlroy. But Rory's, uh, Rory said, and he was asked about playing this event and said he's, he, he didn't play it a lot in the beginning of his career, but he plays it a lot now and he enjoys it. Um, and, and then it was asked a little bit about um, this event being a signature event. And he said, the fact that this one has a cut will be interesting. And it was kind of like, well, what do you mean by interesting? So it'll just be interesting to see if it works out. Yeah. And what I got out of it was, are some of the best players going to miss the cut and not be there on the weekend, which is what the tournament sponsors that are paying a large amount of money double the amount more than double the amount they are banking on the best players being there around on the weekend for the broadcast to bring eyeballs to the event they're spending so much money on and i think what rory's saying it'll be interesting to see who makes the cut and who doesn't make the cut yeah Uh, unfortunately tiger we won't know if he made the cut or not because he had to withdraw with illness but rory is going to make the cut and I just thought it was uh, interesting that he found it interesting. Do you think these signature events should have cuts or not have cuts? Well, and that's one of the big things that Tiger and Jack both wanted is they wanted to make sure that there was a cut, that there was something um, in play to be able to um, not just another an event without a cut 
and everybody gleaning off of that. So um, the cut this week was 50 in ties. Anybody 50 in ties or within 10 shots of the lead, which is kind of similar to what they do in major championships. So, um, and for the most part, the best players that are playing are going to make the cut. Okay. When you got, when you only got 70 or 80 guys playing and 50 of them plus ties are going to make, and 10 shots of the lead are going to make the cut. Then most of the guys are, you might get one or two stragglers that have a bad week and they miss it. But for the most part, the best players are always going to be, be around on the weekend. Well, it's unfortunate that the host, Tiger Woods, is not around on the weekend. Some of our guys that I work with at Black Desert uh, who are preparing for the Black Desert Championship this fall went down to Riviera uh, for day number one, and they came back and reported, quote, the Tiger effect is real, unquote. Of course. And uh, the throngs of people who were all there, it's just different when Tiger's playing. Normally, we would have the caddy right now, but he was unavailable this week. However, last week, he shared this gem of a story. Again, it was the Phoenix Open, but relative to Tiger Woods and what it's like with Tiger playing as opposed to anybody else. Tiger Woods, 19, I think it was 97, maybe. I think it was 97. We're on the range and we look over towards 16 and you couldn't really see, but you could see the mounds and the hills. And there's 8 million people standing on the hill. So we know tigers on 16. Okay, here we go. What's going to happen? We hear this ridiculous roar and it sounds like a hole in one roar. I mean, it's loud. Now the range has got to be 800 yards to the 16th. Yeah. It's, I mean, half a mile. It's not that close. Right. And so, so we hear this roar. I mean, it's loud. It's loud. And um, I'm kind of thinking, man, that, that didn't quite sound like a hole-in-one, but it almost did. Well, that was Omar Uresti hitting it a foot from the hole, <laughs> playing with Tiger. And then Tiger gets up and hits it. And, of course, we don't know. And it's an explosion. I mean, I've been in RFK Stadium way back when it was rocking. I've... It was so loud. That roar was so loud. But it's not just that it was a loud roar. It was sustained. It went on for five minutes from the time the shot went in till the time he pulled the, the ball out of the hole. I, I mean, the crowd was roaring like at its peak for five minutes. And uh, there was a player who was in the fitness trailer getting worked on, which is sort of a like an 18-hole truck trailer, right? And it's got the thin walls and all that. And he said the walls in the trailer were, he could feel them vibrating from the noise. Wow. That's a half a mile away. It's like yeah. a bomb explosion. It was, it was amazing. That was the loudest roar I've ever heard from a distance on a golf course. I believe it or not. Here's how loud it can get. When we played with tiger and things are rocking and rolling and we've been walking from green to tea and it's, it's legit so loud that you could, I've yelled at my player from behind six feet behind. I've yelled and he couldn't hear me. That's how loud it can get in the crowd at a golf tournament, which you find hard to believe, but um, I'm telling the truth here. That was the caddy last week sharing that story. Yeah. The crowds are just a little different when you're around tiger woods. It is loud. That was a cool story to share. And remember him making the hole in one there at Phoenix. And uh, it was just, uh, he did yeah. the raise the roof, I think, on his way out. Um, yeah, that, yep. that was really cool stuff. So it's unfortunate. Well, and, and let's not forget that, you know, most of those crowds, well, that's that's in and of itself because it's that, like that stadium area of 
that event there in Phoenix, but every time we've been out watching Tiger play golf and that kind of thing, the crowds are eight to 10 to 12 deep mm-hmm. and they just line all the holes. I, I can remember when my dad was playing, um, you know, you would, he would play with Arnold or with Jack or whatever. And everybody loved Arnold. And my dad always loved to putt out first because if Arnold putted out before he did, then all the commotion and everybody moving and trying to get to the next hole, um, you, you had to sit there and wait because there was a lot of noise and a lot of crowd movement and everything. So um, that's the kind of stuff that happens with Tiger. And when you play with him, it's not just being with Tiger and the crowd. It's the crowd also moving to the next hole to try to stay ahead of everybody. Yeah, no question about it. And again, like I said, unfortunately, he won't be around for the weekend. Uh, had to withdraw in the second round due to illness. So uh, there you go. Um, let's talk about some of the comments that he made. We had mentioned um, about and played his comments around SSG, where it's at right now. And I think the big thing that came out of that was that, um, the well, let's just play that. The, the financial need, essentially, has been replaced um, by... Uh, by SSG. So here's uh, here's Tiger on that. Well, the 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 PIF deal is obviously is ongoing. Um, SSG, we have solidified our agreement with them, and PIF is still ongoing, and we're still negotiating. I'm going to stop it right there because, in the interest of time, I want to get to this next one, which we haven't played. And Bob, this is relative to the pathway back, and here's right. Tiger talking about this pathway back for players you know, to be able to sort of reunify golf again. We're looking into, you know, all the different models for pathways back, uh, what that looks like, what the impact is for the players who have stayed and who have not left, and how uh, we make our product better going forward. There is no answer to that right now. We're looking at uh, very different uh, varying degrees of um, ideas, and what that looks like in the short term, you know, we don't we don't know. Um, we don't even know in the, in the long term what that looks like. Um, but uh, you know, trust me, there's there's <laughs> there's daily, weekly you know, emails and, and talks uh, about this and what this looks like, you know, for our tour going forward. Pretty much didn't answer that one with yeah. answering all of that. But he did. One yeah. of my favorite thing was he said they've been looking at quote all the models unquote. Yeah. To a pathway back. What, what kind of models exist for pathways back know. to the PGA That's Tour? What I was Bob? wondering. Yeah what, yeah, what sort of model are they drawing on? <laughs> <laughs> the interesting thing is this was supposed to be all wrapped up in December 31st of this year um, with the framework agreement and an, an agreement yeah. done and everything. Well, now SSG comes in. They infuse $3 billion into the PGA Tour or commitment up to $3 billion with one point five to begin with. Um, now it's been kicked down the road to March 31st to decide and see what the framework would be with the PIF. And a lot is coming out recently saying that it's not going to be done by March 31st and it won't be done before the Masters, which is the first full week of April, the 8th through the 14th. I don't think it gets so, done this year, Bob. It may not get done this year and it may got, not get done, period. And if that's the case, then the guys that are on live are going to be on the outside looking in. They're marooned and, on that island. Yep, they're on that island, and it's going to be tough for them because uh, they're going to want to be back in. They're going to be wanting 
to play with the best players and they can say all they want right now, but the best players are on the PGA tour and there's maybe a two handfuls of them on live golf league. I think it's fascinating. This chess match that's been going on. Certainly the PIF had the upper hand and then SSG gets presented and boom, SSG uh, changes the game so that now yep. all of a sudden the PGA Tour is holding the cards. So where Rom left on what looked like a safe bet to quickly return to the PGA Tour might not look that way anymore. That's exactly And I'm right. telling you, as they slip out and you mentioned something, I don't think they are going to want to stay there and not be able to play majors. At right. the end of the day, right. they wanted the money, but they want what they had before as well. And yep. It's going to be interesting. Yeah, I don't know what that path looks like either, but we definitely don't have models. No. Even though Tyler's looking so. at them. Well, there, are, there really aren't any models for that. Coming up next, Tyler Standiford is a biomechanics professor from Utah Valley University and a golf consultant. We're talking about ground forces and your golf swing next, right here on Real Golf Radio. Now, back to Real Golf Radio with Brian Taylor and Bob Casper. Welcome back to Real Golf Radio. Brian Taylor, Bob Casper, and it's time to help your golf swing out just a little bit. Welcoming back our good friend. He's a biomechanics professor at Utah Valley University. He's also a golf consultant, and he has talked to us a lot about speed training really for the last little over a year or so. Uh, we're fortunate to get connected through our good friend Michael Verska from Callaway Golf. Tyler Standifer joining us right now. Tyler, how are you? I'm doing good. Just uh, spent some time looking at some data in the lab. So that's always a fun day. You know what? I'm really appreciative that there are those that find studying data fun <laughs> because that's, I don't mind providing the data. The studying of said data seems a little less fun to me, but someone's got to do it. I'm glad it's me. <laughs> so uh, we've talked a lot about speed training. Uh, I've gone on Tyler uh, with Super Speed Golf, uh, put in this six weeks, and the results were really, really good last year. And so I've started that again for this spring, um, this offseason, getting ready for spring golf, and then uh, met with Tyler at uh, an indoor facility, and he brought some mobile force plates, Bob. And now okay. he wanted to start working, not only with getting those speed numbers up, but let's kind of see what it is that I'm using and how effectively or not effectively am I using my lower body to generate that speed and how can, what can I learn from my lower body and ground forces that might improve not only my swing, but my speed as well. So Tyler, uh, kind of take us through what it is that you're looking for. For somebody that, you know, obviously I went through it and we can talk about my experience, but what is it about the ground forces and why is this a focus of, of study and, and research? Yeah, such good question. So again, like, and I've appreciated this even more probably over the last few years as I've studied golfers where, where I always say that golfers should be athletes, right? That the way that they should utilize the ground, the forces they produce are, are at similar levels and, and, and rates of developing these forces are similar to some of the, the volleyball players, basketball players I've tested. And, and so that connection with the ground is, again, it's the, one of the two connections we have in the golf swing along with the golf club. And so the way that a golfer utilizes the ground, using their muscles to push on the ground and then the ground pushes back on them, these are the things that we know what the best players in the world uh, tend to do to create these forces and then the associated motions of the body. And so what I'm looking for, and Brian, we're able to do this together is, you know, bring you in. We look at these different kind of forces and, and the way you develop them and, and then the associated motions. And we say, Hey, here's a piece of the puzzle 
that we think is really going to help Brian get in better positions and generate a more powerful and efficient golf swing. So you know, kind of in- I was going to say it's kind of interesting that this has all come about recently. You know, we're starting to see a lot more players that that are on their toes or off the ground at impact. Um, all those kinds of things that are happening that just, as you're saying, relate and correlate right to distance and the sequencing of the swing and everything. Yeah, and, and, and what you said there is really cool. And I think there's two things that have, have started happening, Bob. One is that the technology has gotten to the point where, where we can do these things outside of heavy-duty research labs at universities, right? And that's something I'm excited about. The fact that I can take these force plates, I can sync them up with my iPad and, and look at a player in any location, and, and that, that's powerful, right? We're just getting more and more data and then I think what you're, what you're bringing up there too is the fact that we start to see that. Now, now that we know this is going on, these professional players are training, um, they're knowing how to utilize the ground, and they're using it in ways to, to get more powerful swings. Tyler Stander for joining us here on Real Golf Radio. So one of the things that I thought was interesting is you were measuring my levels, and, and if I'm not mistaken, maybe we'll start with this before I get to the levels. There were essentially <laughs> three if I'm not mistaken, forces that were in play, this uh-huh. uh, lateral force, um, this, uh, I'm now, now I'm actually losing my train of thought you're, here. You're, you're, you're doing well on the test. So it's a the lateral rotational, force, is, yeah, okay. a rotational and, and then, then the vertical. Third. Exactly. Okay. Those are, those are the, those are the three components. And, and again, the lateral force thinking of a towards the target away from the target um, this rotational that I think we all see. And then that vertical is kind of what, what Bob's referring to, which is what we see at the end of the swing that, that push off. And so what I'm looking at is how do these forces sequence, right? What's the order of these forces? We want to see lateral first, then rotational, then vertical. Um, and that's lateral big, moving towards the target, lateral towards the target. And the reason why, when we think of force proceeding motion, what we want a golfer to do to initiate their downswing we want them to initiate that, that beautiful forward bump, the forward movement of the body. And you can only do that if you create force that's pointed towards the target. And so interestingly enough, that lateral force, not only how big it is and when it occurs, but also you brought up this idea of being on the toes or heels or things like that. And that's something that Brian and I talked a lot about. It's getting that force coming from the right location of the foot. So many players just really struggle to conceptualize or feel exactly where they're pushing from their feet. And so being able to show them that in real time, hey, this is where you're actually pushing is, is really eye-opening to the player. Yeah, and and so a couple of things you mentioned there. When when I looked at my numbers, like, okay, you're reaching these peaks. You're getting the numbers that I like to see but I kind of want to see this happening a little bit sooner. So talk about now, okay, I, I can see that you're creating force. You're doing those things that I want you to. I don't have to teach you to create the, the force. I just, mm-hmm. I'm going to now work on when that happens. And then what is the cause and effect of getting that done a little bit sooner? Can you kind of talk through that? Yeah. And before I jump into this, I want to make sure everyone knows that, and, and Brian mentioned this last time, he's been playing some really good golf over the last year. So as I start to critique what's going on with Brian and I, I want to make sure he knows and everyone knows that, you know, he's a good player. He's, he, he plays well, he moves well, but like so many other golfers, Brian's tendency can be that he tends to lead a little bit with the upper body. Uh, and that creates that kind of, uh, over the top type swing move that we've talked about. Well, a really good way to remedy, remedy that 
is to create more of this lateral force earlier in the backswing. So what happens with a lot of players is this force will peak as they start the downswing. And now it's too late for them to utilize the ground to create some motion. And so that's where what I was working with Brian. And honestly, what's interesting is this is probably a force I work on almost every player I see where I'm trying to get them feel that that back leg or the trail leg is not just pushing into the ground, but it's pushing away from the target right as that club starts moving. Because when they push away from the target, the reaction force will point towards the target. And we want that to crank up really quickly because when they don't do that, that's that horrible sway move that we see people make. That's that move where they don't initiate the the lower body bump forward and then the upper body follows. And so getting that force to start peaking, you know, club parallel on the backswing, arm parallel on the backswing, and really getting to those values that we want before you ever finish the backswing is going to give us the best chance to do all those things we want to do in the downswing. It's a lot to think about, but the good news is we don't have to think about all- stuff to me. I just swing the golf club, right? Well, <laughs> you do. And you have a lot of natural talent, right, Bob? And a lot of athleticism and a lot of people do. The fascinating thing to me, as you mentioned, other athletes, the fascinating thing to me is, uh, is playing with guys that used to play baseball and mm-hmm. they, in fact, I actually played with a, a friend of mine and we were on the range just, just a, a week ago. And we were on the range and he was asking everything. He was just snap hooking everything. And I was like, okay, I'm trying to look. I'm not a, I'm not a golf instructor. People always say, well, you play a lot of golf. Can you help me with my swing? I'm like, the advice or lesson that I would give you is exactly what you would pay for. It's worth what you would pay for, which is nothing. <laughs> and so I, I had tried to say to him, okay, well, it looks like this. And then I said, you know what? I go, you played baseball, right? He goes, yeah. And I go, just hit one to right field because he was mm-hmm. snap hooking it. Well, all of a sudden, he, that, he, he, that, he could say, okay, that resonated with him. And then he just kind of took a little bit more of a, of a swing where he let his hands kind of, kind of go out instead of flipping at it so hard. Yeah. And guess what? He started hitting some straight shots. First one pushed, then he started straightening out. And all he was thinking is just hit one to right field, which is interesting because most of the time people are hitting it way out right. And I'm saying, why don't you pull one to left field? And it's interesting that that is so to your point, Bob, there is a lot going on what Tyler's saying, but you really don't have to think about it. And that's where his drills come in that will sort of start that. I don't know. Do you call it muscle memory? Sequencing. Yeah. The sequencing, it just kind of make your body sort of starts to do it when you do these drills. Right, Tyler. And and I love, I love what you said too, Brian there. And and you, you did some, some great things coaching. And I would say I'm, I'm not a golf coach. I'm a ground reaction force coach. That that's what I do. But what you said there is really powerful, which is I love the, what I can do with the plates is, and I did this with Brian. It's let's try a couple drills. Let's put them on the plates. Hey, these are starting to work really well. And then we kind of uncover, Hey Brian, what does that feel like to you? And Brian maybe comes up with something that he feels in his body. Like your example, this player, I, I'm, well, it feels like I'm hitting the ball way out to right field. You know, I, I would, I would make a guess that this baseball player, your buddy started doing some different things with his ground reaction forces to get the club moving in that way. And now we have a really good feel that he can lock into and we have some data to support that that's going to help him be efficient and powerful. And so this just is more, it's more data to unlock what you should, what you yourself feel to make those motions the right way, if that makes sense. I'm not going to try and tell a person how to feel or what it should be like. I just want to uncover good data and then tap into their brain as to what it, what it does feel like to them to make those motions and forces line up. You know, it's interesting, golfers, or not golfers, but hockey players and baseball players become actually really strong and really good golfers because of the swing and what 
the way they the way they are able to, like you said, use the ground, uh, the sequencing, all that kind of stuff. And you look at baseball players and inevitably every single baseball player swing looks exactly the same, especially, you know, by staying back, getting their hands out in front, palm up, palm down, all that kind of stuff. And so what you're saying is you can create those, you can create those sequencing things with with golfers to help them become better and help them um, be able to hit it further and longer and uh, and lower their handicap yeah and it, it's cool the, the the way that baseball players and hitting and throwing use the ground from a force standpoint there's oh, yeah. so much crossover to golf that like it, it's almost like as long as you can help them figure out how to square up a club face uh, they just there they are because they just know how to do it versus people who never have had any athletic experience, they have no concept of how they'd use the ground. It could be any sport. I mean, basketball, baseball, we had a basketball player we worked with and he was really struggling with the vertical force. And we're like, well, let's just tap into the fact that you know how to jump. And so let's tap into that. Let's create some feels. And then all of a sudden he became a really good vertical force player and picked up a ton of speed as a result of that. Yeah. And I, I, I'm thinking more about this baseball swing and you, you don't ever see, I can't even imagine. I only played, you know, up until, you know, beginning of high school, but when you're playing baseball, I can't even imagine standing at the plate and th- seeing the ball. And my first reaction is to move my arms. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you wouldn't do that. If you have any kind of, you know, you're, if you're, you're going to load your lower body and you're going to step, yep. right. You're going to step yep. into that swing and then it just slots that baseball bat and, and your core muscles, your big muscles are doing a lot of work there. It's not just throwing your hands at it. And yet we get into golf and I dig it up there. And first thing I want to do is ghost arms, throw at it. Uh, it's just so funny, man. It's, it's amazing how it just, it's such a complicated yet simple thing. This whole golf swing we're trying to work on, right? Yep. Yep. They, they load well, they transfer force forward where all the things that golfers should do. And, and I think this can be crazy complex, but I think what we try and do, or at least what I try and do when I collect data is, is simplify it down to, Let's, let's iron out a few drills that are going to help you learn how to move this way and provide force better. And then let's kind of turn things loose and, and hopefully turn you into to an athlete again. Yeah, I love that. I see through the again part in for me because yeah. you know yeah, it's buried deep inside. There is there was once one uh, there. So. <laughs> well, the thing that's important is you you do need speed. This is a game that if you want to get good at it, you got to have some speed and and the sequencing that'll help your game for sure. Tyler, thanks as always, man. We really appreciate you. Uh, you know, kind of breaking this down and and again just. Tell people what's the best way to, to interact with you or contact you if they want to come and be part of that research that you're doing and take, uh, I guess, be able to benefit from the information you have. Yeah, for sure. Again, uh, you know, find me at uh, Utah Valley University. My, my page there has email contact information. That's a great way. And again, on Twitter, uh, Tyler Standiford and, and on Instagram a little bit here and there, but mainly Twitter and, and that UVU page. And uh, yeah, reach out and uh, let's figure out a way to get you in the study or, uh, or get you utilizing that ground better. I love it. Thanks, Tyler. We'll talk to you again real soon. Yep. Thanks guys. There you go. Tyler Standiford, UVU biomechanics professor, golf consultant, just, he knows a ton of stuff. I'm fascinated by what he's doing. And I honestly, Bob, I know you were asking the question and there's maybe some of you out there thinking it's not a paralysis by analysis situation here. Like this is not like something that you're going to get into and you're going to be like, Oh my gosh, I'm so worried about this and that, that I can't even swing. It really is doing drills that kind of start to teach your, your body what it, what it needs to do. I mean, I got super simple drills, Bob. He's got Bob. He's got me standing on a towel on a slick surface and trying to tear it apart with my feet. 
So he's, he's trying to, to train my lower body to, to push those outward forces, right? And then I've got these little squishy uh, balls thing that I'm putting underneath the inside of my back foot that keeps me step, and I squish that in the takeaway. It's just little things like that that just start to, to just start to ingrain it into you. And now when you step up on the driving range, I can't think about any of that stuff. I just step up and try to make a good swing and see how that starts to translate into that sequencing. So yeah, it's pretty you, cool. You know, we always see the guys on tour on the range and we see them practicing, you know, we starting to see videos of them as they go through their workouts and, you know, with weights and, and heavy balls and all that kind of stuff. We never really see the types of drills that players do on a consistent basis to try to help them do what you're going to be doing and yeah. what you are doing to help them with their sequencing and being able to hit it further and using, you know, the lateral and all these things that, that Tyler's trying to teach. So it's, it's really cool that we're able to be able to talk with him and hear all about this stuff that he's doing. Toby Keith, you know, rest in peace. It was sad to, to lose him, but that song I've been, I've been really kind of inspired by that. Don't let the old man in. Right. And yeah. I look at that and, and I think that's what you have to do in your golf swing. You know, you can't let the old man in and you do that by training and keeping your body moving right. And, yeah. you know, so that I can continue to enjoy this game for a long time. Well, it's been a fun show. Thanks again to Tyler Standerford, America's favorite caddy. Uh, Stop by as well as Ryan Ballingy. The Riviera uh, event, LA Open continues. Tiger hosting at Genesis. So many storylines, interesting things there. Tiger's comments on that. Uh, the mm -hmm. Phoenix Open fallout, the Sunday Red, all of those kind of things we talked about. You can search for it where favorite podcasts are found if you missed any part of it. For Dave Glauser and Bob Casper, I'm Brian Taylor. Thanks as always for joining us right here on Real Golf Radio. <laughs>